following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So this week I'm really excited to kind of pick up where I left last week, but I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to be in John chapter 8 today, verses 12 through 14. So if you don't mind standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God, um, we're going to be doing that, just a couple verses. So in John chapter 8, it reads, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, testify, Jesus, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. I want to ask you to turn to your neighbor and announce my title to them, the title of my talk today, and just announce it by faith. I am a un- turn to your neighbor and say, I am a unique image of God. I am a unique image of God. And if you don't have a neighbor, turn it to yourself. Now, why don't you high-five a neighbor on your way down and have a seat and tell them how awesome they look in this winter and ask them if they're going to survive the the snowmageddon coming up. Are you going to survive snowmageddon? Um, So, you know, that's pretty bold to be calling Jesus a liar. And and the, the context of this passage of Scripture that we're looking at We've kind of got in the beginning of, of, of chapter 8, there, there is that kind of you know, story that's about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And there's some people who question whether or not it should be in the Bible because it's not in some of the earliest manuscripts. Um, I believe it does line up. But the, before that story, there's really this question of Jesus' identity. And, and the, this is all, the Pharisees are already beginning to come at Jesus, beginning to try to attack Jesus, because they realize that what Jesus is teaching and really who Jesus is, is a threat to the religious power that they try to hold over the people. And so they're trying to attack Jesus. And so they're asking Jesus, who are you? And Jesus is saying in the midst of this story, I am the light of the world. How many people know that we are going to have people in our lives that when we try to declare who we are in Christ, they are going to try to come against us. They're going to try to attack us. When you try to stand up at work as, as a Christian and you say, no, I'm not going to let you speak to me like that, or no, or, no I'm going to not be involved in those things, or at school, your, your, your friends want you to do something, they want you to be a part of something, no, sorry, I'm not going to be a part of that, that's not who I am. There's people who are going to try to pull us into things that are not of us or who are going to try to to attack us or push things onto us that are not a part of us. And and we've got to be able to have a strong sense of identity that we can speak light into those situations. And and that's one of the things that's that's really in this passage. One of the themes that's kind of undergirding this passage is the themes of light and darkness. And we know a lot about darkness here in Seattle. I think it's especially these dark times of year. But darkness in the Bible 
represents things like ignorance, lies, evil, and ultimately the devil. Whereas light represents truth, wisdom, goodness, the word of God, or God. And, and in this passage, um, there's, I want to talk a little bit, spend the next you know, 25, 30 minutes or so on describing the, the kind of this theme. What is darkness and what is light? And what does it mean for Jesus in this context to be talking about, I am the light of the world, because, or I, because the context that it's in is the context of his identity, which is the very theme that we're looking at. So my, the first point I want to make is that darkness, darkness makes us disintegrated. Jesus, in this passage, the, these people are attacking him, and he says, I know where I come from. I know where I come from. So in other words, and Jesus is not talking about Nazareth. They know he comes from Nazareth. But he says, you have no idea where I come from. And they're probably thinking, yeah, we know where you come from. We know you came from Nazareth. We know that you're a carpenter, carpenter's son. We know that you're a carpenter. We know that all these things we know about your mother. We know these things. This was, you know, small times back in those days. People knew about people in those days. And so they knew where Jesus came from. But Jesus wasn't talking about Nazareth. What Jesus was talking about is that he came from heaven, that he came from his father. That was his true identity, not just what people perceived him to be, but his true identity was as the son of God, that his, and that was his father. But the Pharisees, they didn't realize this. He said, you have no idea. The Pharisees were walking in darkness. They, they didn't have a, a source. They didn't have an anchor in God. They were doing all sorts of wicked things that Jesus constantly is repeating. They would throw a lot of rules on the people, but they wouldn't lift a finger themselves to try to help the people or try to try to do anything. They'd love to say long prayers just for show and to show how eloquent they would be. They love to wear religious gowns and take the seats of power to be just respected. And, and they love to, to take from the offering and they loved the comfort that being a religious person got them to be. So they were doing all sorts of things that didn't anchor themselves in who they really were supposed to be as people of God, whereas Jesus was. And so what I began to explain last week in the, this mess, and it's, it's actually there's a much cleaner version in your notes. Hopefully you got some notes today. And... <clears throat> And, and what I began to explain is that there is, in the center of our lives, is our soul. And there's three parts to our soul. There's a connection. That one of the deepest desires for every human being is to belong, to connect. And, and in connection, what we, what we do, what we're looking for, is not only to connect with others. It, to connect is how we connect with others. And it's who we connect to. We don't all connect to the same type of people, and that's okay. And we don't all connect the same way. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us have different love languages. So we don't all connect the same way. But it's greater than just relationships. It's also our soul. One of our deepest desires of our soul is really to connect our whole life. That's why things like harmony and integrity are deep soul words, because soul is kind of, I've heard, a lot of this is from Dallas Willard, and what he says, the soul is the operating system of the body. It's what directs and connects 
everything in your body. So it connects the heart, the mind, and the body. And so all those things are connected by the soul. So there's the connection, and then there's our character. And our character is just our mental and moral qualities that make us unique. It's what helps us define what is right and wrong and make decisions in life. That's, that's our character. And lastly, we have our calling. Our calling is our, our God-given purpose. What on earth are we here to do? The, the deepest parts of our, of our life is our soul. Our soul is what we will take with us into eternity. We won't take our heart or mind or body. We'll take our soul. And the soul is the essence of who we are. And so um, then we have our heart. And our heart is our, is our passions, our feelings. Our heart drives a lot of what we do in our life. Um, I call the heart the great magnifier or distorter of the soul. The heart is like the battery pack, but whereas the, the soul is like the, the, the framework, the engine. That's, that's the raw material, but the, the heart is what makes it go. It's what, what drives it, what moves it forward. So the heart is our feelings. It's our passion. If we don't have any passion in our lives, we won't move forward. And let, next is our mind. Our mind is just our thoughts, um, kind of our logic, our reasoning. And then finally our body. It's our, our appetites. It's our physical body. And so a, a well-ordered life is a life that's lived with the soul at the center and the soul is driving the heart. The soul is direct, connecting and directing the heart, which is then driving the mind and, and the body. And so that is a well-ordered life. But when we walk in darkness, we, walk, we don't treat the soul as our center. We, treat, we, we, we begin to disintegrate because the soul require, connects and directs our lives. When we don't live with our soul at the center, when we don't take time to care, to keep, to nurture our souls, then we begin to see our lives become disintegrated. Disintegrated, but also disintegrated. And so all of these other pieces of our life begin to try to vie to become our center. So like I said, our heart is the great magnifier or distorter of the soul. If, if, if we're living a healthy life and we're taking care of our souls, then our heart just magnifies our soul and, and begins to, to help us become an even better person because of our soul. And our, but if our heart if our soul is not anchored in our soul, then it begins to distort our soul. We begin to have other feelings and passions and desires and lusts that come into our life that lead us astray into places that are, are unhealthy, that are, are even evil, and places that we will regret being. That's, this is how people get caught in pornography. This is how people get caught in, in, in all sorts of addictions. This is how people get caught in all sorts of eating disorders because they're not, they're not nurturing their soul and they don't have the things in, in their life that can be the foundation in terms of like a community, in terms of, of reading the Bible, in terms of a mentor, all these things that the soul craves in our lives that will lead us into places of health. Next, if we, we might have our mind. We might try to live with our mind as the center. And if our mind becomes the center of our life, then our life is always logic and reasoning and safety and risk analysis. And we live a passionless life disconnected from people because we're living only from our mind, with our mind as the center. Or if we live as, uh, with our body as the center, we just go with whatever our appetites are. 
with whatever, we go for that second piece of cake. We go for um, whoever or whatever sexual thing meets our gratifications because we're just living at the level of our body. See, that's what happens when we don't live at the level of a soul. But Jesus, what he did is he lived at the level of his soul. He took time to nurture his soul. We see in the passage, Jesus says in John 8, I know where I've come from. He says, whoever follows me will walk in the light of life. You see, when we follow Jesus, we nurture our soul. And and what Jesus did is Jesus always grounded himself in God. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he was tempted in every way. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. And, And so Jesus was tempted to sin, but Jesus never sinned. Why did Jesus never sin? Jesus never sinned because Jesus had an unceasing, constant relationship with his father that gave him the power to overcome the temptations that you and I face. Jesus had a perfect relationship with his father, and that that relationship was never broken until it was broken on the cross where Jesus, at the first time in all of history since history began, said to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was the one time in all of history that ever was and and will ever be that Jesus and the Father was disconnected. But yet, even then, Jesus hanging on the cross still didn't sin so that he could be the perfect lamb to to shed his blood for for the sins of the world. And you see, when, when we don't live with our soul as the anchor... Our lives, when they become disintegrated and we start trying to live from other centers of our life, then our life begins to descend into chaos and our soul shrivels. And so this is why we see people, so many people shrinking back because it is your soul that is the strength for you to move forward in the face of the trials of life, in the face that when you have difficult things that are coming against you, when you have people that are attacking you, when you have people that are trying to pull you into the wrong areas of life you know that aren't right for you, it is your soul that gives you the strength of conviction to have the courage to keep moving forward. And that's what Jesus had when he faced opposition from the Pharisees and and the religious and the political leaders of the day. Jesus was able to, to do that. Jesus says in, in John seven sixteen about how he had this constant relationship with his father. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the ones who sent me. In John 12, 49, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my, my own. Or um, he said, uh, I, what I do, I don't, I don't do, I, I, but I do from, from God. I actually ended up copying it and putting it in there twice. So you can look up those two verses for yourself. Um, but... Uh, But Jesus knew what he believed because he was connected to his father. That's what we need to do. We need to connect to God and to know that he is the one that is our source. We need to walk in the light of God, knowing that God is our source to give us the conviction and the courage to keep moving forward through life's difficulties. And, and so when, when life seems chaotic, when life seems to be disintegrated, we need to recenter ourselves on the Father 
and come back to who are we in Jesus. I'm praying that as I give you these I am statements, I am spiritual, I am a unique image of God, that you begin to grasp hold of those things and begin to determine what do those things mean for you in your life. And as, because I can't make that specific, because it's specific to each and every one of you, but for you to begin to develop that in your life, to know who you are in Christ, so that when the, uh, the trials of life, the tribulations, what I want to say, the storms of life, because I think that's appropriate for this week, come your way, you begin to know who you are, and that you don't begin to shrink back from the storm. You begin to step forward just like Jesus did, because you know that who you are and the God you serve is greater than any trouble that you'll face. Amen? Second, um, so darkness makes us um, disintegrated, but darkness also makes us duplicitous. To be duplicitous is to be two-faced. There was a Batman character that was two-faced, and he used to always have kind of split personalities. He would have two different, he'd have one that would be kind of evil, and one that would be really kind of less evil, not always good. But um, that, that's kind of what it means to be, to be two-faced. It's kind of like you might say one thing, but then you, you might do another thing. Or you might seem like you like somebody to their face, but secretly go talk about them bad behind their back. Anybody know and anyone like that? That's, that's duplicitous. We don't want to be duplicitous. And in this, this, the past, this context, the Pharisees are being duplicitous. They are, are trying to seem religious to the people, but Jesus really knows their hearts. And he knows that what they, what they really are is really they're, they're out for their own comfort. They're out for their own power. They're out for, for, for themselves, and they don't really, really care about the people. And really, they don't even know or, or really love God. And, and so they are duplicitous people. We can't live our lives as duplicitous. See, when, when we make the choice to sin, what we're making the choice to do is to bear the weight of two lives. When we sin and we don't confess our sin to other people, what we're doing is we're living with a projected image and there is, then there's the real image. So, so when we go out to church or when we go with a group of friends or when we go with family, we have, might have this projected image that everything's okay and secretly we, we have some kind of addiction or, or secretly we're, we're doing something that we know we're not supposed to be doing whether, or secretly we, maybe we have an anger. Why is it that we, we, when we, we're around the ones we, we are, feel safe with, with the, usually it's our family or our closest friends, it's them that we feel like we, we start, we have our anger issues or we have our whatever issues that we have. We, we feel like we can kind of bring those out on them. Why? It's because that's the real us. That's the, the, the real us. Like we can go out and we give our, oftentimes we give our best to people during the day at work and then we come home and we don't have anything left to give anyone because we, we've spent it all. We spent all our energy on other people and we've come home. And then the, that other side of us, that, that, that real us comes out and, and it's, we say all the things that we wouldn't say when we want to look good. That's the, the difference between the, the projected image that we like to project to other people. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Everything's good. 
right? Like there is a miracle that happens every Sunday morning. Um, it's amazing. Uh, like I see it all, all the time. You know, couples come and, and, and you know, the, 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 they were trying to get the kids ready and the kids didn't want to get out of bed. And, and so they, you know, they, mom had to yell at them and, and dad was like, we got to get to church on time. Or it was the other way. The mom's like, we got to get to church on time. And the dad's the one actually in the bed. And, and they're like, we need to get out. And, and so then they get in the car, and, and, the, and the, the man is driving, and he's driving a little fast, and the wife's telling him to slow down and, and to stop, and maybe he speeds through a stop sign, and the wife starts yelling at him. And then they get into church, and they walk through the doors, and a miracle happens. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they walk through, and, and the greeter says, hi, how are you? And they're like, fine, we're great. Everything is good. All of a sudden, miraculously, God healed them in an instant, and everything is fine. And that's the difference between the projected image and the real image. And I'm making light, but you see the door that I'm trying to get in here. What is really happening here is so often we are trying to bear the weight of two lives. And let me tell you, friend, it is too great a burden to bear, for you to try to bear the weight of two lives, of the projected self and the real self. We've got to begin to bring those two things together. And, and, and Jesus says, whoever follows me will walk in the light of life. They'll walk in the light. They'll, they'll begin to walk in the light of their unique self. They'll begin to walk in the light as a unique image of God. Oftentimes, the reason why we project an image of ourselves is because we believe that the real self isn't good enough for somebody to accept. We believe that, that if I was to show you the real me, if I was to... Sh- now, granted, you know, we've got to be careful. Um, there was a time, I think, where, like, somebody said, like, came up on stage and said, like, before everybody, like, I'm struggling with, with this. Or no, he said this. He said, I struggle with lust. And he said, I'm sorry. And he pointed out the woman in the congregation that he lusted after. Now, that's a little too vulnerable. We don't need to go that far, friends. But, <laughs> but you know, there is a time and place for things. But there's a sense that if the only life you're living is a life of the projected self to other people, it's too great a burden to bear. Uh, the, if there is no place that you can be, uh, no other place besides church that you can be real, I mean, if you can't be real here in church with one or two other people, where can you? We are called to be a church where vulnerability is our value, where vulnerability is a strength, where we are courageous enough to be vulnerable before each other because vulnerability is, because honestly, I've said revival is on the other side of vulnerability. I believe the reason why we don't see more revival in our nation, more, more of the spirit breaking out, is because people aren't willing to be vulnerable with each other. They aren't willing to be real, and we're constantly living in this projected self. And honestly, friends, the culture is getting tired of the church living in the projected self. They are broken, they are raw, and they are tired of experiencing inauthenticity, and people are 
desiring authenticity in their lives and they're desiring to have vulnerability because they want place where they can air their dirty laundry because they're tired of being broken and having no outlet for the brokenness that they're feeling inside. And so they're just cramming it down deeper and deeper and deeper and living more and more lives of brokenness that could be healed by Jesus if his people would just allow them the space to be vulnerable. That is what God is calling us as a church to be, that we would allow for vulnerability because vulnerability is value. You are valuable. You have worth. God is calling you to respond in confession and true repentance. That confession is the off-ramp to sin. If you are tired of living in the sin, you've said, I want to get out of the sin. I keep doing it again and again. And you keep white knuckling it, trying to say, I did it again. I'm guilty. I'm shameful. But hey, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's a new year. It's going to be a new year, new you. But as we, we keep saying that, and it keeps being the same thing that we're stuck in. If that's you, you need to find somebody that you can confess what you're going through. And you might say, well, if you, if you knew, Josh, what I am actually doing, Josh, I'm struggling with pornography. Josh, I'm struggling with homosexuality. Josh, I'm struggling with drugs. Josh, I'm struggling with, with wanting to divorce my wife. Josh, I'm struggling with, I don't know, suicide, what, uh, whatever. Like, can I name any secret struggle? If, if there's a secret struggle that I haven't named, that you're dealing with, insert that here. But I want to tell you this. There is neither height nor depth nor, nor anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of, of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so you are more than a conqueror over that thing that you are facing. You can come forward because God's love and God's grace is sufficient for you to help you to lift up and be the person that he has called you to be. Step out of that burden. Step out of trying to carry the weight of two lives because God has called you to live one life on purpose in his grace. And he has a power that is sufficient for you to be able, even in, the, in your weaknesses, to live the life that he's called you to live. God has something greater for you than just living in an endless cycle of sin. And he wants to see you set free from that because Jesus already paid for it. God loves you and he doesn't want to see you walk in that anymore he wants to see you walk in the light as the unique image of god and 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 secondly or thirdly actually um darkness makes us um, disintegrated it makes us duplicitous but darkness also makes us devoid of life darkness makes us devoid of life jesus says that um whoever follow me will walk in the light of life. See, there's, there's no life in darkness. Things don't grow in the dark. Like I said, we know about this here in Seattle. Uh, about this time of year, it gets real dark. It's going to get snowy and stormy. And, you know, you wake up in the morning, it's dark. You come home from work, it's dark. Uh, darkness affects us. Darkness affects us physically. Probably everybody in Seattle is vitamin D deprived. And we all need to be taking vitamin D. We all just, it needs to be like, like 
they just need to like start passing it out at stores. It needs to be like candy. Like instead of uh, Hall- instead of candy on Halloween, like there needs to be like vitamin D in there. Like kids are just gritting, popping vitamin D pills. It's like we're, we're like everybody's so hooked on vitamin D here because we don't get enough because we don't thrive in darkness. We don't things don't grow in the dark. It affects us physically. Plants don't grow in the dark. Real plants don't grow in the dark. What like mushrooms? Mushrooms, like, okay, some people like mushrooms, a lot of people don't. Sorry if you like mushrooms. I actually do like mushrooms, but, you know, real plants don't grow in the dark. Only, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not mushrooms. You're not mushrooms. You're real plants, you're, and you're real people. And so, you, so we thrive in light. So it affects us physically. It also affects us emotionally. Um, it affects us emotionally, that, uh, that we don't thrive emotionally in the dark. When, when it gets dark, that's when, that's when all the crime happens. When it gets dark, that's when the violence happens. When it gets dark, that's when drug addiction happens. Emotional issues come out in the dark. We don't thrive in the dark. When the power, when the power goes out at night, that's when looting happens. That's when people make the wrong choices. It's in the dark when we're by ourselves, that we're alone, and we're isolated, and we, that's when we, when we cry, when nobody is looking. Darkness doesn't help us grow physically. It doesn't help us grow emotionally. It also doesn't help us grow mentally. Like I said, darkness in the Bible represents ignorance. It represents lies. It represents impurity. So we don't grow in darkness, we grow in the light. The light represents, like I said at the beginning, truth. So mentally, we grow in the light. We are, what's it called, enlightened. That's, that means we, we begin to know more things. So we, we, it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, but also the light affects us spiritually. And, and to give this, I have a little illustration. Um, we like to think that, man, if, if I just had... All of these things in my life, like my life, would be okay. But there was a man, Tom Brady, um, some, I think, in prob- mostly in, in this region, m- disliked. But some people, any Patriots fans in here? Do we have any Patriots fans? No? Anybody that we're going to kick out of the room? I mean, anybody that we're going to love? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but Tom Brady, now, now, as much as you might not like Tom Brady... Tom Brady is probably, I got to say it, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in NFL history. He's the most winning quarterback. He's won the most Super Bowls. He has like the most yards for regular season and, and, and um, playoffs. So he, like, from all, he has like all the records. Tom Brady is tall. He's strong. He's good looking. He has a Victoria's Secret supermodel wife. He's rich. He's he's everything. Like like girls want to be with him. Guys want to be like him. Like he is. He's got it all. But yet Tom Brady, in an interview on June in June two thousand five, said said this to um, in the interview. He said, "There's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings now at six? And still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be 
all, what, what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? You see, Tom Brady it has light in a lot of other areas in his life, but Tom Brady doesn't have light in his soul. And so all his achievements are ultimately meaningless for him because they haven't been given meaning by having a soul that's anchored in the vastness of God's love, in God's wisdom, in God's truth, in God's purpose. That creates all of the, it gives meaning to all the other pieces, that connects and directs all the other pieces. And so here's this man that by the world's standards is, is vastly successful, but yet still feels this emptiness in his heart because spiritually he's walking in darkness. He's gratifying the, na- the, the lusts of his flesh and, and doing what feels right. And, and it doesn't feel right to, to be doing that because it feels empty to him. That's spiritual darkness. And, and, and to live in that then is, is to, to constantly fe- be feeling like life is empty and we're not growing. See, t- for something to grow, like for a plant to grow, when you plant a seed in the ground... To know that that plant has really kind of made it, been successful, it's really grown, is it's become what it was intended to be. See, you, for you to really grow, it's not just for you to grow up, get bigger, you know, vertically or horizontally, whichever way you're growing now. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, it's not just for you to grow like that, but it's for you to become what God intended for you to be. That's what he means, that you, as you're growing up, would become what God intended you to be. For you to, for what growth is, is becoming more and more like what it was intended to be. How do we know what that is? The only way we do, we know that, is by having something to pattern our lives after. To say, this doesn't look like growth because this doesn't look like that. And the that for us, for all of humans, is Jesus Christ. We were all made, what the Bible says, to conform to the image of Christ. We were con- made to conform so we could transform. We were made to grow up in Christ so that we could grow to others. You see, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And, and for most Christians, we can accept that. Jesus is the light of the world. Of course, like Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is <coughs> fully man, but he's also fully God. So Jesus is the light of the world. But Jesus flips it around and in Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people <coughs> light a lamp. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Got a little cough in me. Light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And for some of us, that's hard to believe because you're like, Jesus, you can't really mean me. You must mean like that plural you, like there's some people out there that are the light of the world. But it's not me because, Jesus, you don't know the lies that I've told. You don't know the impurity that I have. And yet Jesus still says that you are the light of the world. You see, light brings warmth. Light brings safety. Light brings health. When you sit under the light of the sun 
in the summer. Just think about that for a second. Close your eyes. Think about the light of the sun in the summer. Just imagine the lights in the room are the sun, and you're basking in it, and you're getting that vitamin D you need so much because there was a reason that Twilight chose Seattle as the place to hold have vampires. And, uh, and now you're getting the sun in you, and you're, you're, you're feeling healthy and strong. That's what you are meant to be to this world. You're meant to be that one, and the only play, way you can get that is by having that light in you, by treating God as the source and accepting yourself as the unique image of God that he called you to be, and then walking out and sharing that light with others. So we've got to grow in the light and share the light with others, because what we'll begin to do is as we begin to rehearse it in our lives, we begin to rehearse that God's identity that he, he's placed on us in, his, in our lives, we begin to see that we can begin to share the light that is growing in us, the light that has its source in God with other people in the world. You see, once you've made the decision to build your, your assessment of yourself exclusively on God's word, the things in our lives that begin to try to preempt the light, the darkness in our mind, you know, the, the chatter that we have in our mind, the, the inner critic that we have that's constantly telling us you're not good enough, you're, you're never going to make it. If you step out, you're going to get rejected. If you step out, you're going to fail. That mind, in our, in our, that is, it's, that's going to rehearse itself in our life. But when we begin to rehearse things in our life to say, hey, no, that's not who I am. Like God says, I am his masterpiece. I am his workmanship. I am established. I am sealed with a promise. I am redeemed. When we begin to take those things on and begin to follow what God has us say in those things and begin to rehearse those things in our mind, we begin to have a light that grows within us and begins to become what God has called us to be. So we begin to become not only truth receivers in receiving the truth of who God has called us to be, but we begin to become authentic truth tellers, that we start telling other people not only who we are, but who they are. That we can share the light that we have experienced with others so we can begin to be the light of the world. See, we need to be truth tellers. Not like Ricky Gervais. We've got to tell it in love. We've got to be truth tellers. He, he told the truth. He told it like it was. And if you don't know what I mean, it's okay. Um, you probably haven't watched the news. But, um, <laughs> but, but we need to be truth tellers to tell the truth in love. See, there is a mobile phone ad. And it said, it's what you do with what we do. It's what you do with what we do. And it was saying, you know, we build the phone, and then it's what you do with the phone that matters with, with, uh, with what we did, right? So we all have a phone, and we do different things with our phone. And so it's what you do with what we do. But God is also saying that too. You see, God came and he created you. He gave you his son. He gave you his spirit. He's performed miracles in your life. First off, just by you accepting Jesus is a miracle. He restores us. He uses us. He gives strength to us. And then he speaks truth into our life to help us to, to complete our calling that he's given us. And, and, and so we've got to constantly rehearse in our minds who we are. See, you might say that I don't feel liked, but I'm loved. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm gaining in my life right now, 
But his promise is that you are more than a conqueror. I don't, you might think, I don't have a lot of confidence in my life right now. But he says, be strong and courageous. Uh, you might say, I feel broken. But he says, you are healed and whole. And then as we begin to grasp a hold of God's promises in our lives, we begin to share those with other people. And we begin to see not only that our life is conformed to the image of Christ, but we're conformed to transform other people's lives. And begin to see that other people will be conformed to the image of Christ as well. I call that inside-out living. Inside-out living. That we are living from inside. You see, as you grow in Christ, as his, the light of God, grows in your heart, the natural overflow of that is that you would want to share that with other people. This is not something uh, where you have to work at it with your duty, where we're serving because it's the right thing to do. No. God already set us free from works. But he wants to you to experience the light in him that the joy would overflow into other people. Because Jesus didn't come to start a religion. That might sound weird with you, weird to you. Jesus didn't come to start our, our private, private religious institution. Jesus came to start to show us a new humanity. Really, the humanity that we were always meant to be. Jesus was called the new human. Not because it's something new, but because it's something new to us. This is what God originally designed, that we would be people that would begin to learn who we are in him so that we could begin to develop the, the original design that God had for our lives. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God wants you to be a light to the world, but you can't do that if you don't have a light in yourself. I pray that God, that you would receive that light in you and that you would begin to experience God's light in your life, that you would have the light of life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that this is not just something that's good for Sunday, but this is something that will help lead us into Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week, God, that we can begin to, to take you as our center, Lord, and begin to diagnose and say, God, what's wrong in my life? And God, we won't begin to walk in darkness anymore, but we'll begin to step out of darkness into the light. Maybe that means beginning to accept you in our life, Jesus. And, and, and for the first time saying, God, I'm really done trying and striving all myself. I want to just fall, rest on your grace, God, and see where you can take me, where you want to call me, Lord. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe for, for some of us, it's just recentering ourselves, recommitting ourselves to you, Jesus. And it's, it's not an act of work, but it's merely just receiving your grace, saying, I receive your grace, God. If that's you, say, I receive your grace, whether out loud or in your heart. Otherwise, maybe for some of us, it's beginning to confess a, 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 a deep, dark path we've been on and a, a hidden sin that we've been experiencing. And there's confession is the off-ramp into true freedom in our life and confession and true repentance that we would really turn around from our sin or maybe for some of us it's beginning to um, beginning to, to share with others the light that's been growing inside of us God whatever the next right step is Lord I pray that you would open that up to our minds and our hearts and call us to walk into that in your name we pray amen